Welcome to the Too Bad Eugene podcast. I'm your host, Adam Nye. Let's talk Too Bad Eugene. Yes, yes. Let's talk Too Bad Eugene, shall we? Good uh, good morning, afternoon, or night, whatever time of day you're listening to this. Um, it is, uh, for me, just a couple of days after Thanksgiving. And um, man, we hit the ground running as a family with Christmas. Like, the second Thanksgiving was over. Friday morning, we went and got our Christmas tree. It is up. The lights and ornaments are on it. Uh, my wife has decorated, um, you know, our whole living room. Uh, it, it's such a fun time. We we are a Christmas family. Uh, we we watched Elf already. We watched the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special, which is like my new favorite Christmas tradition. Uh, if you know me, you know I I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I was stoked that was coming out, but. One thing I did not expect about that thing is the killer couple of new Christmas songs in it, uh, especially the first one. Uh, I don't know what Christmas is, but Christmas time is here by the old 97s. That was made for that special. So much fun. You got Even if you don't watch the special, you got to check that song out. Um, and if you are uh, into Christmas music, particularly kind of rocking Christmas music, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag here for uh, for our faithful podcast listeners. We've got something pretty fun coming. Um, it, it's been in the works only for a couple of weeks, uh, and it's only a couple of weeks away. We, we are releasing a Christmas single. Um, it's been fully recorded. Uh, it's the same team from the, the album in terms of production. So our friend Kevin Grewal uh, recorded the drums for us. Um, though this time I was, uh, I, I did the editing work on that rather than Andy, but, uh, Andy Snyder will be mixing it. Uh, he promises that in the next couple of days. And, uh, so same guy that mixed our record, Andy Snyder, former guitar player, incredible, uh, uh, sound guy, incredible, uh, you know, record producer, uh, and then it'll be released by the people of punk rock. I think the timing of it will be a little close, but we will get it out for Christmas. Um, we're doing a cover of uh, an original that Chris Isaac wrote. If you're uh, a fan of his, um, his Christmas record, which I think is just called Christmas, released in like 2002 or three, maybe 2004. I don't know. I didn't look it up. Uh, it's mostly standards, but he wrote a few originals, including one called Washington Square that we have transformed into a raging punk rock song that I am I'm pretty dang stoked on how it came out. So uh, we're not really advertising it. Uh, well, we haven't really, we've talked to the label about putting it out. We haven't really talked about whether it's going to be promoted. I kind of want to just do a surprise drop. It'll be a surprise to everyone except for you, uh, our, our podcast listeners. Um, so there's some inside information you guys have. I teased it a little bit online on, on the social uh, media accounts we have. So a few people, I think, already picked up on it. But yeah, that's kind of a fun thing we've been working on that I'm excited about. It's, it's a special thing for me because it's the first, it's the first one-off we've ever done as a band. Um, you know, we, everything we've done has been, well, we did the four-song demo at the very beginning back in 1998 
Um, but then it's been full length records other than we did one song, um, with Brandon Jones from Indivision Music. He, he put together a compilation for Tooth and Nail Records called I'm Your Biggest Fan Volume 2, which we put a song on, but that song we recorded and mixed during the moonlighting sessions. So we didn't do it by itself. This is the only song we've ever just like recorded by itself out of the blue. And I was kind of interested in seeing how that went because, you know, I'm figuring out how to be a punk rock band in the 2020s. And uh, I'm still committed to making records just because I like records. Um, But man, uh, this day and age, uh, it it pays to be putting out music often. So putting out singles, uh, quick EPs, trying to put out something, um, you know, hopefully multiple times a year uh, is kind of what most bands like us are doing, small punk bands. Um, And I was like, well, is that something we're able to do? So it was fun trying it, you know, just, we did like one short nighttime session on the drums, came out great. One uh, evening of guitars um, and bass, did the vocals and uh, and bass uh, here at our house by myself. Uh, It all came together uh, well. So I'm optimistic about what the future looks like in terms of Too Bad Eugene output. I don't think you'll just have to wait every several years for full-length records. I, I That's still something I'm committed to doing, uh, but I think we can fill in the gaps with singles uh, and other fun stuff like this. Anyway, enough about that. Uh, this week, uh, I'm going to be breaking down and talking about the song Anecdote. So here's a little taste of that. Yeah, so it it's called anecdote, and it really is telling an anecdote. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a, a song with a story to it. Um, let me come back to the story itself, because um, yeah, I'm gonna have a lot to say about this one. It's gonna be a fun one. But let me start with the music. I, I mentioned last week, if you heard um, the podcast I did last week uh, on um, "Take Another Shot," that that song "Take Another Shot" was the first of three. Um, that were recorded uh, over the course of three days, and they appear on the record in the order they were written. Uh, I uh, there was a there was a fourth song I wrote first that didn't make the record, but then day two was uh, take another shot, day three was anecdote, and day four was get back there. Um, and all three of the songs underwent very minor further evolution uh, after I, I I first wrote them a little bit. Um, but nothing structural. It was, you know, maybe the little ways I would phrase a line vocally or, uh, little distinctions in the way a riff would go or something like that. Um, uh, Sam's guitar solo on this one on anecdote, um, a little bit of it, uh, of the, of the way I laid it down in the original demo is there, uh, in the way he plays his, but for the most part, I mean, he's, he came up with his own stuff, uh, drew, drew a little bit of inspiration from, uh, from my demo, but, um, a lot of it is just the way he plays. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, musically, this one came together very quickly. I, let me even talk about that, uh, musically, 
I didn't really take this one very seriously. I, I, I was, I, I wanted to do this. I wanted to like write a song every day. And this one felt the most like I, I didn't necessarily fully feel inspired. I'm like, well, I'm just going to write something, even if it doesn't make the record, even if I don't think it's, you know, the best thing I've ever written. And when you're in that mindset, you make, you make decisions kind of quickly because you're, you don't feel that committed to them. You're like, yeah, this one probably won't make it. So let's just do it like this. Um, so yeah, uh, musically it came together pretty quickly. Um, I, I wanted it to kind of be, uh, my idea was just sort of, um, just very kind of straightforward punk rock, uh, a little bit of a, a whimsical kind of rhythmic things in the introduction and those little, da-na-na, I just thought that would be kind of fun. I'm like, that'd be, that'd be fun live. Silly, not, nothing profound. Uh, there's really nothing profound in any of these three thought, uh, these three songs, not to say there's anything profound in anything on the record. But there were definitely songs that I was putting more time into, and and I can feel the time put into those songs. There was kind of care and attention and development, um, and so some of those songs, at least to me, they feel more sophisticated. If a punk song can be sophisticated, uh, whereas these songs, I was very intentionally not putting any sophistication into them, because as I talked about last week, I wanted some immediacy, some fun, some lightheartedness, some stuff that w- where I was not going to take myself that seriously as a songwriter. I'm like, this is going to be, um, you know. Uh, the the modern because I, I feel like a lot of the punk rock I love is this. It's kind of the modern version of pub sing along tunes. You know, they're simple. They're meant for crowds to sing together. Um, so it, it, yeah, they're not hoity toity. <laughs> they're not overly sophisticated. So uh, I wanted that with this. As this was coming out of me, I was like, eh, I might be. This might be too simplistic. This might be kind of you know, really not worth doing anything with, but you know, there's a discipline in finishing and I made myself finish. I'm like, all right, just put something down. Um, you know, make a song. Uh, I sent it to Sam and was like, I don't think this one's that great, but whatever, here's the idea. And he came back. He's like, I don't know. It's pretty fun. Um, and then the further discipline with me with these things is make a song and then listen to it a lot and see how you feel about it over the course of some time. And that was what was surprising to me about this song was that as I listened to the demos over the next several weeks leading into actually beginning to record the record, I was like, you know what? I actually really, even though at the time I didn't really feel like my heart was in it when I was writing it, I'm really enjoying listening to it. Uh, it's, it's kind of a fun thing, especially where it goes in the record, you know, within the sequencing of things, I thought it's a nice turn after take another shot into just sort of a different direction. It's a, it's a feel. Um, it does kind of have some melodic and energy feels that are similar to stuff on at any rate. Um, it it kind of has a similar tone to like walk in the dogma maybe, um, which otherwise you don't, you don't really get on this record. So that was like, well, that's kind of fun. So my heart kind of grew into this song over time. It wasn't really there right at the beginning. Um, but yeah, over time, I'm like, no, this this is a better song maybe than I thought. It's not our best. It's not my favorite uh, on the record, but I I don't skip it <laughs> when it uh, when I listen through the record and it comes up. I'm like, yeah, this is another fun one, another chance for big harmonies. I'm always into that. Um, I have had a couple of people mention the Offspring in relation to this song that it kind of reminds them of the Offspring, 
And I'll admit, I guess I kind of do too, which is funny because, um, you know, no hate or anything, but the offspring is just not really an influence on me. They're, they're not a band I ever got into. Um, they, they were exploding right at the time. I, you know, was really getting into punk rock, like my sophomore year of high school, 93, 94, um, uh, green day dookie, right? Like those, uh, was it Smash, I think, from The Offspring and Dookie from Green Day? Those two records were exploding at the same time, and they were both like these worldwide phenomenons. And I was really into Dookie. I still am. Um, but, you know, I had all these friends that were not punk rock people that were like getting into that Offspring Smash record. And I listened to it. I'm like, I do not get it. Like, I'm really liking this stuff. I was, you know, getting into all the other bands at the time, loved Bad Religion, Pennywise. Um, the, the emerging sort of punk, uh, fat records roster. I was into all that. I just could not get into the offspring. So it's nothing against anybody. Um, since 94, they've done a few songs I really like. Um, uh, Shattered Dreams, I think is the name of a, of a song of theirs. I actually really do think it's pretty good. But, um, anyway, I'll admit I do kind of hear some offspring similarity in this song, even though it was not, uh, not intended. Um, okay. Oh, the other thing I, you know, uh, you know, I talked last week about structures of these songs, all three of these songs, take another shot anecdote and get back there have a very simple structure. It's like opening riff verse, chorus, verse, chorus, maybe closing riff. And then over the only difference with anecdote is then like guitar solo, um, and uh, which I which I think is kind of fun because the guitar solo does have a I think a different chord progression uh, than you got earlier in the in the song, uh, and it kind of yeah I, I actually that was something I was really proud of. I'm like this is this is this is weird to me structurally. Like I I'm kind of a a conventional songwriter historically at least. I tend to like a verse chorus verse chorus bridge guitar solo final chorus. You know I, I like that traditional kind of um, I don't, I don't know where, what you would call that songwriting structure. Um, but I'm also into playing with that. I like it when, you know, I can make something that totally diverges from that. Um, like I think of the song hypothetical on at any rate being one I was really stoked on at the time. Cause it's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, break down something else, <laughs> right? It goes into this totally, actually two totally different things toward the end of the song that are not really anticipated earlier in the song. Um, but it's still part of the same song. And I really loved that. This is a much simpler thing, but just the guitar solo being the whole second half of the song, I just thought was pretty fun. Um, anyway, that's, uh, that's anecdote musically. Um, the story of this song. So let me, let me first to just address the story itself. And then I do want to spend a while talking about what, what, I, what I think of this song is really about, which is our relationship as a band, which maybe I should really just say my relationship um, as an individual to Christian music um, or the idea of like Christian punk rock and the question of are we a Christian punk band that has come up a few times. 
I would like to address that. <laughs> I'm going to talk about that for a bit. I don't have like an outline or notes or anything. I'm just going to talk. Um, but let me address the, the story in this song first, and then, um, and then I'll get to that. My larger thoughts on, on that question. Um, so I'm going to be honest and say that the anecdote this song is telling, the story this song is telling, I can't remember if it is a single thing or if it is two things that I have put together in my head. It is either a single incident that happened or I'm confusing two different things that happened. And that's kind of a lovely thing about life on the road. It's been so long since I've, um, since I've lived that life, since I've been in a band that was spending weeks and weeks on tour. Um, but yeah, the, that was a very fun uh, time in my life. Uh, I, I love thinking back on it, but I don't think back on it very clearly. I can't quite keep it straight because you're, you know, you're, you're moving from town to town. You're playing all these different shows. You're meeting so many different people and you rarely remember their names unless you happen to follow up and, you know, keep your relationship going over time, which there've been a few people like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, for the most part, these things do tend to run together. Um, and, Actually, the original title of this song was Anecdotes, plural, and the second verse was a different story. Um, it, it actually, in the second verse, was fictional. So, uh, so that is one way in which I did come back and and uh, rewrite the song after the day I wrote the day I wrote it. Verse one was. A, almost exactly as it is. I think it is exactly as it is on the record. Verse two was a totally different story and it was fictional. And I, and I didn't like that. I was like, why, why am I pivoting from a true story to a fictional one? Why don't I just carry on the, the same story from the first verse? And then I did. And then as I've done, as I've gone back to it later, I'm like, wait, is that the same story? I can't actually remember. I know it's true. I know it happened, but I don't know if it's the same, same guy. So um, all of this was back in the uh, Craig's brother days. When, when I was touring with Craig's brother, um, and yeah, uh, the story of the first verse was a guy came, uh, we were playing, I think this was a, like a festival, but like a mini one, like an indoor five or six bands type of thing, um, but all in kind of one day in the evening. It might have been like seven bands. I don't Who remembers? I <laughs> can't keep these things straight. But uh, there were people milling around, like even while just we were getting there setting up and a kid came and bought our CD, like as we were unloading our stuff onto the table, just right as we're getting set up, he came and bought the CD. Um, it was fairly fresh. It was the summer of 1998. Uh, Homecoming had like just come out. Um, so yeah, he was getting hot off the presses and we played our set. And afterward, he literally came back to the table and asked to get a refund for his CD because, uh, and I asked him like, Oh, anything wrong? He's like, well, you guys never talked about Jesus. He, he wanted, he, he was disappointed. We had not stopped the set and given a talk and given kind of a come to Jesus moment. Uh, and he wanted his money back for it. As soon as he explained it, I'm like, done, here you go. Here's your music or here's your, uh, here's your money. See you later. <laughs> it was like, if that's the reason you want to return our CD, I, I am more than fine with that. Uh, because that's, we had been dealing with that kind of thing so much. Um, as I say, I, I, I'm going to have more to say about that. But yeah, at that point in, in our tour, 
um, which was mostly Christian venues. Um, there were a lot of kind of youth groups, especially in the South, that were kind of operating also as music venues. So the guy booking the show was the youth pastor, and that's who we're dealing with. Uh, and sometimes they would, uh, you know, come up during our set and give a little talk um, or do it right before we played between bands or something like that. Um, we we found that annoying, but, um, you know, that was their deal. If they expected us to do it, uh, we're like, well, that's that's not what we do. We're a band. Uh, we, we, we play our songs. Um, so... Anyway, yeah, there there was enough backstory already going uh, when when we encountered that guy that I was like, I wasn't gonna argue with him, just gave him his money back. Um, and then yeah, it my memory says it was that same show, but I will admit my brain's like, wait, this the band I end up talking about in the song wasn't at like we weren't touring with them. So it could have just, yeah, but they might have been there because, like I say, it was kind of a, a little mini festival. It wasn't just the bands we were on tour with. Uh, it was kind of a meetup spot. Like multiple tours kind of converged at this show. Um, so it could be. It could all be. The, it could be the same kid. My memory says that it is, but then my, I don't know. <laughs> As I get into my mid-40s, my memory disagrees with itself. Um, anyway. It was a true thing. If it's not this kid, it was somebody else that also voiced to us their disappointment that we weren't more Christian, that we didn't satisfy what they were looking for. In a, in, in, you know, they loved Christian punk music. Um, they wanted to be into us, but they didn't like that we weren't more preachy, that we weren't more overt in our Christian faith. And they were really into this other band that all of us that were in bands that knew this other band uh, knew that they were not poster boys of, uh, you know, Christian youth that when you got to know them uh, backstage and you actually talked to them, yeah, they were like, they were selling something that was not really genuine. And the sad thing is that was kind of going on a lot in the nineties in that sort of, um, tooth and nail and tooth and nail adjacent Christian music thing that we were a part of. Uh, no question about, about it that we were a part of. We just, uh, <laughs> almost, as, almost as soon as we emerged within it, we're like, I don't know if we belong here. Um, so yeah, that's what, you know, that second verse is just, is identifying that. The, uh, and, and yeah, that's, you know, I, I remember watching this kid, sing along with this band like yeah this is the kind of christian band i want to be into of course i'm not naming the name of that band it doesn't matter but um yeah you know we knew these guys a little bit we we had had conversations with them like man if their fans knew how they talked when they are not on stage they would be appalled um so so yeah let, let me let me talk about that more generally uh i will say um Mark Solomon, who was the singer of Stavesaker, and before that, The Crucified, he wrote a book called Simplicity um, years ago. I don't know if it's still uh, still in print. I've got my copy uh, in my bedroom. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I haven't checked to see whether it's still in print because, man, I already have it. And I think this book says almost everything I would want to say. Um, his experience was quite a bit longer. 
in this Christian alternative music scene than uh, than mine was. Um, and you know his bands were were I would say higher profile, like you know, uh, Crucified was. I mean, I guess the Christian music thing was kind of smaller when when Crucified was going on, but they were a they were a very big deal within it, and Stavesaker was huge. Uh, within our, you know, kind of tooth and nail world of the mid and late nineties. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like he can speak on this, uh, in some ways quite a bit better than I can. And he just, he tells a lot of anecdotes in that book, a lot of stories that are really similar to the kinds of stuff we experienced, the kinds of expectations, um, that the Christian music sort of, uh, industry was putting on us bands, um, and, and, you know, we had signed up for it. We had signed contracts with tooth and nail records. We knew their distribution model was to put our CDs in like general market record stores, but also to put them in Christian bookstores. We knew that. Um, so we can't claim innocence or ignorance on it. Um, but what, maybe we didn't know. I mean, what no one was all that intentional about was, the larger expectations that went with it as you moved across the country and played various venues, uh, Christian venues, you know, what their expectations were, um, what the, you know, the people booking these shows, what they were expecting from us as a band, what they thought we could expect from them. Um, which in many cases was pretty great. I mean, there, there's some cool stories of, uh, people putting us up, you know, it's kind of a punk rock thing that somebody lets you uh, sleep on their floor or um, or on their couch when you uh, if they've booked a show. Like that's not unheard of within the general punk rock scene. What's maybe different about it uh, in the Christian scene is <laughs> is the fact that a lot of these people are rich, or if they aren't, someone in their church is, and they're so you're not sleeping on like dirty apartment floors we were sleeping in incredible bedrooms in these mansions um i mean not all the time but enough of the time that we're like wow this is kind of rad <laughs> whereas when we gave that up um and you know when too bad eugene went on tour with mxpx just playing clubs across the country i mean we just slept in the van quite a bit of the time because uh, there was nothing like you know nobody was giving you their uh, girlfriend's parents' mansion to sleep in as we got to with Craig's brother back in the, yeah, the Christian touring circuit days. So anyway, there was, uh, that was maybe a positive expectation <laughs> that we developed. Uh, I mean, it wasn't an expectation, uh, but it just happened enough that, you know, it's like, wow, that, that's cool when it happens. Um, but then, yeah, your relationship with your fan base, like what they thought it meant that you were a Christian band and what you thought it meant or whether you, you were even comfortable with that phrase. Um, I think MXPX uh, had a lot of leadership with that, with, you know, kind of stepping outside of it all and saying, we're not a Christian band. We're Christians, but we're a band. Like your expectations for us when you come to see us live should be what they would be for like a band like your expect expectations should be high. You should want us to make the best possible music we can play, um, and uh, and put on the best show we can we can put on. But you know, none of us went to Bible college or seminary. Um, we we're we're not here to uh, preach a sermon or give an altar call. Like we're here to put on a show as a band. Uh, I, yeah, I want to say MXPX was the first sort of within our little movement. Um, number one, to have the radical success they did. Uh, I mean, they got just a lot bigger 
than um, any of us other bands in that scene. Um, but then also, yeah, they they started to clarify that about what we were all trying to do as a band. Now, there were some. There were some bands that were very, like, they did see what they were doing as a ministry. They did not think of themselves as just a band. Like, the, we are doing this for the sake. I, I remember going to see the Supertones, and um, and their singer, w- like, was just really direct with all the Christian kids in the audience. Like, hey, we have a deal with you. We give you music that glorifies God. And your job is to bring your non-Christian friends to our shows so we can share the gospel with them. Now, I was always like, when I heard them say that, I was like, wow, that's, that's interesting. Like, that's how they conceive of their relationship to their mostly Christian fans. Um, that was not how we conceived of ours. Um, and actually, I'll even admit, um, there was quite a bit of debate within Craig's brother about whether we even wanted to pursue... Um, labels like Tooth and Nail, who we ended up signing with, I was the one really pushing for that because I was reading a lot of the interviews that those guys were giving um, about what they were trying to do. And Brandon Ebel, who was you know the founding guy at um, at Tooth and Nail, and and uh, Billy Power, who was our A and R guy, I had read interviews with both of them, and their thing was they saw Christian, you know. Let's let's put it this way: bands that were overt about their faith and their lyrics, they saw bands uh, being you know skipped over, like bands that were maybe really good but not being given opportunities within their underground scenes because of their faith. And so they saw their mission as a label to give voice to these bands, with, you know, n- not to silo them off into some Christian ghetto but to put out records from hardcore bands, from punk rock bands, from, you know, whatever, um, that were, you know, again, they're bands and they're writing all kinds of things, but, uh, you know, uh, maybe tipping their hat to their faith and their lyrics, or at least, that the, you know, whoever was writing the lyrics was coming from a Christian perspective. That was their only requirement as a label. They didn't require you to call yourself a Christian band. Not every member of the band had to be Christian. There was no kind of behavioral contract anybody had to sign. The only thing that they were clear about is that um, whoever's writing the lyrics of the songs is coming from a Christian perspective. And I think, yeah, they had stuff about, you know, don't put any profanity in the lyrics. Um, So, um, yeah, I saw that as a pretty cool thing. It wasn't about using Christian faith to sell records. It was about not having Christian faith standing in the way of having the opportunity to make a record. That at least was the, uh, that was what they were saying in interviews and I bought it. Um, the other guys in Craig's brother, particularly Andy and Ted were, were more worried about that. They were like, uh, what I'm not okay with is using our faith, which we all had uh, at the time we were, uh, you know, at least, us three that were writing songs were Christians. Um, and, uh, yeah, they were like, I, you know, we want to be joining the conversation of punk bands. We want to be contributing to the, the output of California skate punk bands. Like we, you know, wanted to see our peers as our heroes, you know, no effects, lag wagon. These were the bands we were kind of, um, we saw ourselves as being, comparable to genre wise. And we didn't want to be thought of as something else from that, like the Christian version of that. 
Uh, all of us were n- not wanting that. Um, and I didn't think signing with Tooth and Nail made us that. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll admit Ted and Andy were, were more worried about that. And uh, yeah, in the arguments, I pushed harder. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm a pushy guy and I could be very argumentative. And in the end, we sent our demo out to lots of labels. Tooth and Nail was the only Christian one we sent it to. And they were the only one that offered us a contract. So in the end, that was kind of where I pushed it. Um, but yeah, once we were out there, once we were, you know, um, touring and the kinds of tours that we were doing with our, you know, our friends in like Slick Shoes and Dogwood and the other bands that were putting out records on Tooth and Nail at the time, it was, you know, we were definitely in this Christian scene. We, we, were, we were the Christian version of Lagwagon. Uh, and right away we saw that that's what it was. And we were like, that's a bummer. This is not what we wanted. Uh, so when we started too bad, Eugene, that was like one of the first, um, kind of convictions we held to. It was like, we're we're not doing that. (laughs) Uh, we, um, we didn't put our first record record out with tooth and nail to intentionally try to separate from that a bit. Um, we weren't going to play a bunch of church shows. We weren't going to tour churches, we went on tour with MXPX playing regular clubs. We did put our second r- record out on Tooth and Nail. Um, I was comfortable with that by that point because I could, I, I still number one we weren't touring, um, and I was like, yeah, you know, at this point we've uh, we've kind of established who we are. Um, I don't. Really, <laughs> to be honest, can I fully remember my what my thinking was when we put out Moonlighting and why I was okay with Tooth and Nail? I will say to this day. When you look us up on Spotify and you look at, you know, the, um, the other bands that are, that are referenced down below, I'm like, ah, that is interesting. It's all Christian punk bands. Most of them aren't active. They were active when we were back in the early 2000s. Uh, I keep hoping the Spotify algorithm will recognize that we're doing new stuff. We're playing with none of those bands that <laughs> our new record is on, you know, not at all a Christian label. Um, and yeah, I don't know uh, that, that part of it. I'm a little bummed out about. It's definitely because we put a record out on tooth and nail that it has this, here's other similar bands and they're all Christian bands. Um, okay. I kind of want to back up and, and, and say a bit more about my, my history with the Christian music thing. Um, I, I quite thankfully grew up in a house um, where, where I didn't know that there was such a thing as Christian music. Like my family was definitely Christian. We were at church all the time. Um, my parents were both, you know, uh, active in uh, various things, activities at our church, um, helping lead stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I, I knew that we were Christians but when it came to music, we listened, you know, to the Beach Boys and the Beatles and the stuff that my dad loved. And then I had older brothers and sisters. Um, my older sister was into pop radio. So I grew up listening to Madonna and Michael Jackson and, um, you know, yeah, the cars, the, the police, whoever was big on the radio. Uh, and then my brother was also uh, into, um, you know, 80s hardcore. I, I was getting to hear that stuff from a pretty early age. There was Minor Threat and The Descendants and Seven Seconds and these bands that I still love. 
uh, I can definitely credit to my brother for introducing me to. I didn't know there was anything set, uh, as Christian music. In junior high, I became aware of like Amy Grant and um, Michael W. Smith. Uh, I, I was not interested at all, but I was like, okay, so there's a thing called Christian music. It's really boring, and that's what it is. But then my freshman year of high school, one of the leaders in our youth group took me to a concert up in uh, Concord, which is a good like hour or so drive. Uh, that's Concord's up in the kind of East Bay. Um, is that East Bay? I don't know. Do you call it? I don't know. If you know your Bay Area geography, you can correct me. Um, but um, we went to see The Crucified and Mortal. Um, and that must have been 92 or 93. Like I said, my freshman year of high school. And that was my introduction to the, of like the, you know, Christian underground music, Christian alternative music, whatever. The Crucified, if you never heard them, they were kind of a uh, thrash metal. Um, and Mortal was kind of industrial metal. Um, they became Fold Zandera, and then apparently they're back. Uh, I just saw this last week that they're doing new music, which is kind of cool. But yeah, that show kind of blew my mind. Uh, I was an immediate Crucified fan and, uh, you know, got what I could of theirs. Um, and from there, like, uh, I think Tooth and Nail Records emerged like pretty shortly thereafter. And we went back to that same club, uh, which, by the way, was The Scream in Concord, run by a guy named Frank Tate, who would years later start Five Minute Walk Records and Cerebellum Records and uh, put out Five Iron Frenzies, first several records, and uh, some other bands. So anyway, uh, this was before all that, when he just ran this Christian venue called The Scream. Um, we went and saw, oh I, gosh, I used to go see The Prayer Chain and The 77s there. Um, and then uh, Focused and Wish for Eden, I think, toured together together. Uh, Whatever I saw them together at at the screen for the first time, and that was my introduction to this tooth and nail records thing. And then all the other bands came. I saw Blenderhead and Plank Eye and uh, MXPX. They all played that club. Um, uh, my high school. Okay, so maybe I should start with that. I you know, uh, ha we started uh, a band of our own my sophomore year. Um that that was originally called yellow snow and it became called the defects um which was kind of an old school punk rock band um the yellow snow tape we made i wouldn't i wouldn't even know what to call it it wasn't good but by the time we were the, we were the defects we knew a little bit better who we are uh, who we were we were blending influences from especially the misfits and seven seconds which are two very different bands but um we kind of collected those two major streams, like the darker kind of, you know, uh, sinister tones of the Misfits, especially the um, Earth AD album, their, you know, fast stuff, uh, but blended it with the kind of more positive, um, you know, message of seven seconds, a little bit of minor thread in there too. Uh, and we got to play the scream a few times. Um, both as Yellow Snow and as the Defects, um, got to play with Goaty Hook. That was probably the highlight of that band's existence. Um, in Santa Cruz, we played with the Blamed. Um, 
Was that the same show that Craig's brother played? I think it was. I think there there was a show in Capitola with, where the defects opened and then it was Craig's brother and then the blamed. Um, so that was a big night. <laughs> uh, got to know all those guys the same night. Uh, yeah, because you know that, that was my first introduction to Craig's brother. I later joined them. So anyway, yeah, I was I was into this Christian thing. We, now we got some shows locally, um, just playing with other local punk bands. We never got any that were like with bigger acts coming through from out of town. We weren't that good. Um, but I mean, I think we had a song called Christian Band, and and the chorus was like, you know, we're a Christian band. So that's definitely where I was coming from. I was totally into it. Uh, and it wasn't until I joined Craig's brother and got to know those guys and got to hear, hear how they thought that I started to think a little bit more about it. Um, Ted Bond introduced me to a book. Um, okay, I should have looked this up before the show. Uh, but, but I'm fairly positive it was Michael Horton, who's a theologian, uh, I, I still uh, respect and have read, uh, you know, at this time I was not a theologian. I had not gone to Bible college or seminary or done a PhD in theology, which I have now. Um, and I've, you know, I've seen Michael Horton speak at conferences. I've read some of his more recent stuff that I've really enjoyed. Uh, but an early book he wrote was called Where in the World is the Church? And Ted had read that book and told me about it. Um, and I read it and it really made me think because, you know, his the premise of that book was that um, the church really shouldn't be, uh, you know, a ghetto into itself of producing its own sort of cultural products for itself, right? Just making Christian art, making Christian TV, Christian music, Christian movies. There was a time when, um, the Christian imagination was producing some of the world's best art, architecture, Literature, music, you know, you think of, well, the Middle Ages, which we tend to, you know, I know, the modern mind can only hear Middle Ages and think of the Dark Ages. And there was some darkness, but there was also some light. There was, uh, there were some beautiful things made. Um, and so, yeah, he was, he was arguing for that. He, he was, I haven't read this book in 20 something years. Um, I don't remember its argument perfectly well, but, uh, it definitely made an impression on me that the idea of as Christians, the way we would want to um, live out our faith and glorify God is not through, um, you know, quote unquote, Christian products, things that are kind of like what's going on in the world of lesser quality, but with Jesus's name on it. It's like, no, we should be wanting to do the best of what's going on in the world for a general audience. Um, but yes, it should bear the marks of uh, of the worldview of its creator, but it doesn't need to be um, propaganda. You know, th the point of a Christian making art doesn't always need to be to sell Christianity. Uh, and so that was just a, a way of thinking about it that I had not come across yet. And um, yeah, that definitely planted seeds along with just lots of conversations that we had in the van. Um, I, I really do think of touring with Craig's brother as just a pivotal moment in my intellectual formation. Um, I had, ne I had never had friends like Ted, Andy, Heath, Scott. Uh, that was an interesting brew. And it, it, it put me into some conversations and some head spaces I had never had before and very much for the better. Um, I think, I think I've only, I've done nothing but benefit, uh, 
from those kinds of conversations. And I, I really miss them. Uh, I, I miss having those conversations with those guys. I get to have them every once in a while. Uh, I love that Andy and I are working on projects again. Every once in a while we get to hang out and have a meal and chat. Um, I got to hang out with, I don't know if I said this on last week's podcast. I know I meant to, but I think I forgot to say it. The Ted and I hung out and went to see Pulley. Uh, and seized up in Santa Cruz like two weekends ago and got to chat a bunch. And that was super fun. Um, but anyway, there's something about hours and hours and hours on the road <laughs> where you're like, you get to go deep and you get to talk about things with a, an expansiveness that, you know, is rarely afforded at other times in life. It's kind of the, you know, freshman dorm up all hours, solving the world's problems kind of thing. Um, Touring was is one of the the most major versions of that I've had, and I know not all bands are like that. I know most bands don't have a bunch of theologians and philosophers in them, but ours did. Uh, Craig's brother very much did. So yeah, those uh, those conversations were killer. Um, but it, it was being matched by these experiences of seeing how narrow and um, frustratingly consumerist the this christian punk rock thing was it wasn't about what what i thought it was about was you know making music that glorified god because like it's good music uh and you're singing about what you know so yeah sometimes you're 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 interjecting your faith into it sometimes you might just write songs about god i have definitely done that i will say in retrospect i don't think they're necessarily my best work uh, Ted has made an argument that like, uh, I don't even know if he remembers saying this, but like writing a song, the basic content of which is like to glorify God, like, you know, writing a worship song is a particular skill and it's a very high calling because just writing the words, God, I want to glorify you. Does that glorify God if it's not artistically rendered? It is bad poetry glorifying to God. That that's an important question. It's something I came across in in C.S. Lewis years later. Um, one of his books has a letter he wrote, declining an opportunity to write a chapter for a book that was like about uh, hymns. This this person wanted to get some you know leading Christian authors and thinkers to um, to you know write a collection of essays about how great the the history of Christian hymnody is hymnody. That's a hard word to say. Uh, and Lewis turned it down because he was like, I, I'll be honest, I really don't love hymns. I think the poetry in most of them is terrible, uh, and I think it's 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 misguided to think that we glorify God with bad poetry. I remember reading that, and you know, having already had these conversations with Ted, I'm like, whoa. I, again, I was not that way of thinking did not come naturally to me. I sort of had to learn that from people um, like Ted and, and, and like Lewis. Um, and it's something that's become fairly central to my convictions um, in that the, the time or two I've given myself to write a song like that, like the song Soli Deo Gloria, that is the last song on, um, on Moonlighting, I kind of uh, regret writing, <laughs> I'll be honest. I don't think it lives up to what it's seeking to do. Um, when I hear a, a a worship song or a hymn that I do think 
is, is really well written. I, I, I'm often in awe of it. I'm like, wow, this is incredible. This, and, and I don't know if I'm capable of doing it. I, I feel like I use my own skill set better when I put a bit more doubt into my lyrics because it's more honest, at least from where I'm coming from as a songwriter, that I, I feel like the artistic product is more compelling when I'm, when I'm more me throwing in the wrestling I'm doing, the contrast between the beauty I find in the gospel, the beauty I see in scripture, in, in, in who I believe God is, but then bringing myself into the mix and all of the self-doubt and all of the conflict I have within me, I, I find much more interesting material in that contrast rather than just the pure expression of adoration for God. I love those songs. I find writing one daunting. And I don't think punk rock is a very uh, fertile place to go. To you know, it, that, that's not the, I don't think it's the most fitting genre for that kind of music. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's, that's not really what, uh, it's not what we do. And as a theologian, I will say that I think Christians need to think more broadly about this. Um, I tend to find that Christians tend to be very compartmentalized. They tend to think that like there is the spiritual side of their life. There's going to church, there's praying, there's reading their Bibles and, and maybe putting on a CD of Christian music that makes them feel spiritual. But then when they go to work, when they pay their taxes, when they brush their teeth, they tend to think of those as like quote unquote secular things to do that aren't evil, they just don't have anything to do with God. As a theologian, I, I think of that as a horrific way of thinking. That That is a radically unchristian way to conceive of life. Um, th- th- I want to say uh, God has a claim, like, for, the, for a Christian person, God has a claim on, on everything. There, there's no unspiritual activity. We are... Um, as human beings, we are embodied souls. We are this uh, perpetual overlap of the physical and the spiritual. And everything we do overlaps those two things. When we do things we think of as spiritual, praying, reading our Bibles, um, going to church, singing worship songs, there are physical aspects of that that are important. It's important to attend to the physical aspects of it. There, I, I think it glorifies God that we... Uh, learn to sing well when we sing our worship songs, that we sing in tune. Do I think God refuses to hear the the out-of-key person singing in church? No. Uh, of course, he takes up our imperfection, binds it to Christ, and uh, there is a kind of perfecting in that union so that you know uh, what we offer to God is made adequate, even though in itself it is inadequate. There's There's lots of profound theology to get into there. My point being that there is an inextricable inextricable duality in all of these things. The spiritual is physical and the physical is spiritual. Brushing your teeth is a spiritual thing to do. And uh, praying has physical implications. That being said, music as art has a range of uh, genres it has different um, you know, in, kinds of instrumentation. There's, there's different ways of making music. There's different kinds of soundscapes. And then lyrically, there is a huge range of topics um, music might cover. God certainly is one of them. 
the spiritual life is certainly one of them. There can be music about those things. But when the Beach Boys sing, catch a wave and you're sitting on top of the world, that is not, to my mind, a secular song. In, in other words, that is not a song that, has, uh, that is irrelevant to the spiritual life. That is not a song that God doesn't care about. I'll even say it's not a, it, it is a song that I think glorifies God. And I love telling Christians that because they always give me the weirdest look. They're like, wait, you think the Beach Boys glorify God? Were they Christians? And I just sort of cock my head to the side. I'm like, do you want to rethink that question you just asked? <laughs> do you think only Christians glorify God? And do you think Christians only glorify God? Aren't Christians just people? Don't Christians do some things that are good and some things that are bad? And isn't that true of non-Christians as well? And isn't God pleased by his work in making these creative things called human beings that bear his image? Now, does it matter whether a person believes in Jesus or not? Of course it does. But it's not the only thing about a person. Um, and th this is the most toxic instinct of evangelical thinking, is thinking that believing in Jesus or not believing in Jesus makes a person and anything they do relevant to me. Like as a Christian, I only care about other Christians and the things that they do. That is the dumbest. <laughs> there's, there's nothing in any valid expression of Christian theology that would back up that attitude. But you find that attitude everywhere uh, within the evangelical world. Um, uh, uh, a refusal to sort of learn anything about the things that matter from a non-Christian, the idea that they would have anything valid to say to a Christian um, about spiritual things. It's like, why, why wouldn't they? Um, I mean, of course, there are things that we disagree with. You know, as a Christian, when I encounter a non-Christian, I know right away we disagree about Jesus. Okay, that's one thing to know. And it's a, it is a major thing. I, I, I think there's um, who we believe Jesus Christ to be is the kind of opinion, the, the kind of belief that trickles into like so much about a person. But to reduce a person to just that question or to think even that God does, and that's maybe what it is for so many evangelicals. They think that that's the only thing God cares about. Um, because they think that, you know, it, it's all about, will you get into heaven when you die or not? Uh, it, it, there's been a kind of training to think that that's the only question that matters in the world, which radically devalues the world, <laughs> the life between our birth and death, uh, and seems to suggest that the only thing that matters is what happens after we die. When, yeah, my Bible, um, Certainly there is this story of an assault on the goodness of the world um, and God's determination, his mission to, to restore and rescue the goodness of the world. That is uh, clearly at the heart of the biblical story. But in the background of that story is just such a high value of the beauty of creation. And there's an engagement with art that is yes, there's a lot of stuff that is just straightforwardly worshiping God, or there is stuff that's that's uh, worshiping God for 
for making such a beautiful and awe-inspiring creation. And then there's other parts of it that are just taken up with the beauty of creation itself. There's a battle uh, over, you know, restraining from deifying creation, you know, making the earth a god, or making the forces that we depend on within creation, deifying those and worshiping those. So that that's clearly something that a Christian uh, needs to hold some, themselves back from. But it seems fairly natural to me to think that it would be an entirely Christian, biblical, Judeo-Christian thing to do, to write songs about the day-to-day aspects of life, the, the joys of them, the frustrations of them, um, the blessing that is another person in your life, the frustration that is another person in your life, right? The All those more mundane, uh, fancy word is quotidian, uh, those aspects of life, that that is, there's something quite God-honoring in making art about the, the, the experiences and the struggles we have within the life that isn't directly about him. But it is still something that I think he takes joy in. It is something that glorifies him, even though he is not its topic. I think it is um, even something I, I might be willing to say that I think is probably God's will that there be such a thing as art and that it be, you know, richly varied in its expression. There's all different kinds of art and art is about all different kinds of things. Ultimately, all of it glorifies him, even though only some of it is about him um, directly. But that's something I think just more Christians need to spend more time thinking about. They need to stop having the only uh, measurement of art be well, did it have some dirty words in it? <laughs> Oftentimes, especially because I, you know, as a profession, I teach the Bible to uh, to high schoolers and to adults. So many people make assumptions about what my artistic tastes would be because of that, especially if they don't know that I'm in a punk rock band. Uh, and they'll tell me about a movie that they, they thought, you know, was really great. And there's always this pause like, oh, uh, it, it has some bad language in it. Like, like that might be a deal breaker for me. And, and and I understand where that assumption comes because they know I'm an evangelical Christian. And that is a deal breaker for a lot of evangelical Christians. Uh, to me, I'm like, no, I, I'm, I'm capable of, <laughs> of listening to voices that aren't mine. I, I'm, I'm capable of beholding art I wouldn't make. And still appreciating all kinds of things about it, especially, yeah, even if there is some ugly stuff going on uh, in a story, in music, if there's some, if there's some harsh, ugly stuff going on, uh, I'm a Christian committed to the story of the light shining in the darkness. And you've got to be able to talk about the darkness in order for that statement to mean anything. What we found among um, the Christians that were buying and very often returning our music when we were a part of this Christian punk thing was that they just wanted the light to shine on the light. They just, <laughs> they just wanted to like not acknowledge that there was such a thing as darkness. Uh, and that's just a very vanilla Disneyfied picture of reality um, that is ultimately not really very Christian. Um, so 
that's my kind of rant on that topic. I do want to say before I close though, that as we've come back into existence as a band, too bad Eugene, um, some of the first to welcome us have been those who, as far as I can tell, are kind of uh, still very much a part of the Christian underground uh, scene. People who who were there in the '90s, who were doing, you know, were into the tooth and nail thing, and they still are, and they and they don't think about this the way I do. Um, and I and I and I don't want to sound like I'm necessarily coming across with any you know harsh judgment uh, for any of our fans that are like that. If you're our fan. I love you. I don't care what your thoughts are about, uh, you know, if you only listen to Christian music, well, I would disagree with you about that, but I'm not going to turn you away as a fan. If you appreciate our music, I can't tell you how happy that makes me. If the fact that I'm a Christian and I, and that's reflected in some of the stuff I write, if that's a value to you and is one of the reasons you're listening to our band, that's great. Like that's something that, uh, yeah, I'm not offended by it at all. That, that that makes me super happy. I don't want to hand that into, um, it, it, even though I recognize I have done this, I no longer want to hand that to a company to use as marketing. You know, I, I don't want to intentionally go out into the world and, and like use my faith as a way to generate more streams. I don't want to use that to jack our Spotify numbers up. That to me is just a radically ugly idea. And it happens. I, I will say there's less of a temptation to do it now because there's so much less money to be made. But in the 90s, there was a lot of money to be made off of marketing uh, music to Christians. Um, and so that's that's what I'm against. Um, I'm not at all against these communities that I'm finding online um, it, it, what's funny is, you know, how many of them, uh, there's at least one podcast I'm aware of, of guys that are talking about all of this stuff from the nineties and forward Christian music industry. And these guys aren't Christians, um, or at least not anymore. I think they both were and they aren't, and they, and they're talking about it and their, their, uh, their thoughts about it, I think are super interesting. And like, it's funny to me, you're still invested in this thing, even though you're not invested in the faith itself. Hmm. I mean, maybe they're invested in it, but they, you know, they're not like claiming it as their own faith. I find that super interesting. Um, I'll say, I think I've shouted him out before, but Brandon Jones, who runs Indie Vision Music, uh, it like he is such a wonderful guy. I I so appreciate Indie Vision Music. They've uh, been supporting us since forever, and uh, there's definitely like a Christian music thing there. And, uh, and I respect it. Like I'm, uh, I, I love that they want to talk about us. I love that they want to, uh, help promote us. Um, so I, I just, I think that's great. I please just don't call us a Christian band <laughs> or like, yeah, I don't even care. You can call us whatever you want. I'm just not going to use that phrase, uh, as something that I think is helpfully descriptive of what we are as a band. It's just not a, a phrase I, I have any value for. Um, anyway, this has been, a, this has been a long one. Uh, I'm going to wrap it up there. Um, next week, uh, recognizing that we, uh, the previous three episodes have featured an interview guest and this one didn't, I knew I was going to ramble for a while. So I'm like, let's pause on the interviews. 
Next week, I will have an interview guest uh, again. That will be Sam Skelton, our guitar player. He's going to join me to talk about Get Back There, um, which I think is very appropriate. It is something uh, he and I both wanted to get back to, which was making music, which is what that song's all about. So you're going to get to know Sam a bit. We're going to hear about his... Um, yeah, uh, how he got into music. I'm interested. Yeah, I'm gonna ask him some questions. I don't think I've ever really asked him, like, which is, you know, the kind of music he was exposed to growing up, how he's first, you know, played the guitar, what led to that. I'm really interested in finding that out. I hope you are too. Um, so I'll look forward to uh, to that episode next week. I hope you have a fantastic week this week. Uh, if you haven't already gotten your tree, I hope that's what you're doing this week. Uh, get that Christmas spirit going uh, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.